shot dies. Have a a really exciting message tonight. Um, it's real exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying at the same time. So, are we ready for a exciting, terrifying message? <laughs> um, today is a very important day. Um, not for the sense that it's any specialer than any other day, but in Jewish culture they have seven important days each year. They're called the appointed times or the feasts or the festivals of the Lord. Um, Today is what they will call the sixth of Sivan. So Sivan is one of their months and it's the sixth day. And on the sixth day of that month, they celebrate what's called Shavuot. Just a random question, does anybody happen to know what I'm talking about? Shavuot? What is it, bro? Any idea? Pentecost, yep. So Shavuot is what they called, or what we call, uh, Pentecost is in the Greek, literally means 50 days. So today is the day of Pentecost. Um, it's kind of like, these seven feasts are kind of like, um, you know how we celebrate Christmas each year on the 25th of December, that sort of thing. So they'd have seven of these different appointed times or feasts or festivals um, that they'd celebrate. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into that. And if you have your Bible, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Um, and that is the basis of the message. So it goes like this. The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times. So in your Bibles it might say appointed time, it might say feast, or it might say festival. Which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. And then he goes down and he lists um, the nature of all seven of these appointed times. So I'm just going to break down this verse a little bit. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. What is a convocation? So convocation um, comes from the word mikra, which means something called or read out. It's a public meeting, a calling together or a dress rehearsal. So he's saying that there's... These seven appointed times, which are to be readings or dress rehearsals for something that is going to come in the future. Are we all on the same page? Makes sense? Alright. So, they would celebrate these every year in remembrance of something and as a dress rehearsal for something else. I'm just going to give a quick overview of all seven of them. You may have heard of them before. I'll just read them out. It's Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So you may, if you've been in church for a little while, have briefly heard you know, something about um, Passover and all this. So Passover um, in the Old Testament was um, just in the Exodus where there was, uh, these plagues were, were going on all over the, all over the show because God was trying to prove to Pharaoh that he, he was the boss and to let the Israelites go out of slavery. And this last... Um, last plague that he sent was called the spirit of death. And what would happen is he was going to send his, uh, this spirit of death over the nation and anybody who didn't have blood on the door frames of their houses were going to be killed. So Passover um, is a celebration of this blood that was shed. They'd slaughter a sacrificial lamb and wipe it on the door frame 
um, of this house and it would save the people that were inside for cert- from certain death. Now what is so fascinating about these seven feasts, which we remember are dress rehearsals, um, is that when Jesus came, he fulfilled or is going to fulfill every one of these feasts. So four of them have already been fulfilled and their three are yet to be fulfilled. So for example, Passover, the wiping of the, the blood on the doorframe of the houses to save people from death, this, um, this appointed time, this day, was fulfilled at exactly the same day, exactly the same hour as when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. I think it was about 9 o'clock in the morning um, was, a, was the time of that ritual sacrifice and at 9 o'clock in the morning Jesus was um, slaughtered on that cross for our sins. Does that make sense? So we have the, the dress rehearsal and then we have the fulfillment of the dress rehearsal. The next one, unleavened bread. Now this is really important. Um, so the, what unleavened bread was, it was bread without yeast and that this feast or this appointed time lasted for seven days and the Israelites weren't allowed to have yeast in the house for seven days. They weren't allowed to eat it. They, weren't even, yeah, they couldn't even have it in their house. They had to literally get it all out. Now, what was the deal with not having yeast in the house? I mean, it's yeast. I mean, it's, remember, it's a dress rehearsal. So, this feast of unleavened bread um, was forbidden in the house and it represented sin. So all the way throughout the Old Testament, leaven, which is like yeast, represented sin. Jesus was called unleavened because he was pure. He was without sin. He didn't have, he didn't do a single thing wrong. He didn't have this impurity that we have in us. So that's why Jesus was the only person who could fulfill this feast of unleavened bread because he was the only person who was unleavened, the only person without sin. Does that make sense? So we had to have this perfect sacrifice um, to fulfill the unleavened bread requirement. First fruits. Any guesses what first fruits is all about? No takers at all. So first fruits, um, is, I think, is quite self-explanatory. Uh, first fruits is when Jesus rose again. So we see that Passover was filled at exactly the same day, exactly the same hour, um, as at stress rehearsal, so was first fruit. So Jesus rose from the dead at exactly the same day, exactly the same hour as these Israelites would celebrate this first fruits uh, festival or appointed time. Does that make sense? Is that not one of the most completely fascinating things you have ever heard in your life? Did Jesus choose when he was to be crucified? He was literally dragged, whips beaten, and they chose when he was going to be nailed on the cross, but it just happened to be, sheer coincidence, it happened to be on this dress rehearsal, this coming together, this feast, this appointed time that they had been celebrating for, I think, over about one and a half thousand years or longer had they been dress rehearsing for this specific time. Are we all on the same page? All right, next one, Pentecost. So, you know, we think about Pentecost and we, the word Pentecost is only used in the New Testament because uh, it's a Greek word. But in the Old Testament it was called Shavuot. And what you might not, un- or might not know is that um, the Israelites have been celebrating Pentecost for 1500 years before Pentecost came around. But of course, as a dress rehearsal. Does that make sense? Um, so Pentecost uh, was when the law was given to the Israelites. So um, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, flames, fire, all this sort of stuff. And he came down with these stone tablets, the giving of the law 
um, to the people. On Pentecost, um, as Jeremiah prophesied, the law would literally be written on the hearts of people. So instead of having something that they had to fulfill a, a requirement on a stone tablet, it was going to be fulfilled right in their very own hearts by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. These next three are the most fascinating of all. They're the three that have not yet been fulfilled yet, but will be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. So remember, I'm only, so I'm, I'm talking from the Old Testament. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus' second coming. Some of the names of this first, uh, feast or appointed time was, um, a feast of trumpets. And I'll just read out some of the, the names or some of the things that they used to call this day. They used to call it the crowning of kings the wedding ceremony, or the opening of the gates. Quite fascinating, eh? The wedding ceremony, the crowning of kings, and the opening of gates. Okay, so no one got the first fruits reference. Does anybody have any expectation about what might happen on this day? Hint, the opening of the gates, the crowning of the king, and the wedding ceremony. Do I have any takers? Jesus returning and... Maybe a wedding ceremony, if they called it the wedding ceremony, which is potentially this wedding ceremony of the Messiah that Greg has been talking about for the last ages. Um, the next one, this is the scariest of them all, the Day of Atonement. Um, this is the holiest day of, of the year. They were, the, uh, on this day, um, you might have heard mentioned up here um, that a high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Have you all heard of this before? This was that one day. It was called the Day of Atonement. Um, and the, so that was the Old Testament fulfillment. The New Testament is this. this is, oh, sorry. I wind back a bit. I'm getting too excited. The Day of Atonement. He, he atoned for the nation. This priest came to the Holy of Holies to atone for, uh, for the nation on that day. This will be the day that Jesus judges and uh, judges the nations. The next one, the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a day of great joy. And what the Israelites did to prepare for this is they actually went out and stayed in tents. Because a tabernacle means a temporary dwelling. So they go and stay in tents. Remember, these are all dress rehearsals. For when the Messiah comes, he will not just stay in a tent, but he will dwell with us himself. Um, so it won't be a temporary, it will be a, an actual uh, dwelling with us. So all these feasts or appointed times give the context for all the major New Testament events. Jesus' death, um, his sinlessness, his purity, his resurrection, his, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the wedding ceremony of the Messiah, the rapture, all these sort of things we can find in the, the Old Testament. Isn't that just quite fascinating? Um, Colossians 2 says, uh, in response to these festivals, you can have a look, or write it down and look it up later. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, again, not only do we have a dress rehearsal, we say that the, the shadow, you know, when you cast a shadow over something, it's like the outline. You don't actually see, you know, if, if you, see, you see my shadow, you see the kind of outline of me, but you don't actually see the fullness of who I was. So these feasts, these appointed times, or these dress rehearsals were the outline of something that was to come in the future. Fascinating, huh? Um, so the nature of this is if we don't understand that Jesus uh, had to fulfill the feast of unleavened bread, that he had to be without sin, that he had to be pure, that he had to be holy. Um, sorry, if we didn't understand the feast of unleavened bread, we won't understand that Jesus 
um, was the only one that could attain for our sins on the cross because he was the only one that was perfect. Make sense? If we don't understand that um, by putting the blood on the door frames of the houses to stop us uh, being killed by this Passover spirit of death, we don't understand that Jesus had to be nailed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Make sense? So we, we agree with that. That's, that's basic, you know. Um, but this is the same for, for Pentecost. If we don't understand the nature of Pentecost, um, what was going on in the Old Testament, these shadows, these dress rehearsals for what to come, we won't understand the fullness um, of this New Testament uh, appointed time, this Pentecost uh, event. Make sense? All right. This is really important because it's building up to something. Um, just a quick little point. In the, uh, so we need to understand the Old Testament to be understand the New. In Revelation, there's 404 verses. But within those 404 verses, there's over 800 references to the Old Testament. 404 verses, over 800 references to the Old Testament. So who understands uh, the New Testament here? Little, little, little few people, hands going up. So in order to understand the, the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. All right? All right, so I'll get, I'll get into Pentecost now. The history of Pentecost. Like I said before, this is the giving of the, the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai. So this was on, um, on like I said before, Sivan, the, the sixth day of the month of Sivan, uh, the day of Pentecost. And this was exactly 50 days from the crossing of the Red Sea. So the Israelites had come out of slavery, they'd crossed through the Red Sea, which had miraculously opened up for them, and they were free. Finally, they were out of the clutches of these um, uh, these Egyptians who would um, enslave them and do all this horrible stuff to them. And, yep, finally they're free. Um, but they had to wait 50 days until the giving of this marriage contract. Um, now, what is so fascinating is the way that the Jews viewed this marriage contract. Oh, if you want to have a look at the reference to uh, Mount Sinai, it's Exodus 19, verse 10 to 17. Um, the giving of this con- uh, the, of this, the stone tablets on Mount Sinai were to the Jews as a giving of a marriage contract between God and his people. So, in our culture, we don't have marriage contracts. You get engaged and then you get married. You don't go around giving out a marriage contract um, so I'll just quickly go over that, just so you have an idea that I'm not making this up and I'm not lying. So what would happen first is that you'd be betrothed. So you'd give a marriage contract and it would set out the rights um, and obligations for the bride and the groom. So in order to get married, both sides had to fulfill these rights and obligations. Um, so as soon as you had given this contract, you were what is called betrothed. Um, and that's quite different to what we would think of as engaged in the New Testament. Um, so that's what these stone tablets were. These were a giving of a contract to say, um, if you want to marry me, you've got to fulfill these requirements. Um, it was a legally binding contract. So in our culture, you have to be married for it to be legally binding. In the, in the Hebrew culture, as soon as you were betrothed, you were legally bound to your husband or wife. Um, so, for example, if we think about Joseph in um, in the New Testament, he was betrothed, he was engaged to marry Mary, um, but as soon as he found out that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to divorce her. Why would he need to divorce her if they weren't married? It's a difference in, in, in cultures that you don't pick up unless you understand um, Hebrew. Um, 
he had to be he had to be divorced because um, the betrothal was so legally binding that's what had to happen. Um, so, yep. So this is what the giving of the old covenant. So a covenant is like a contract. It's a, a marriage contract. Um, and Jeremiah says this. He says, um, Jeremiah 2 verse 2, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of you, your youth, the love of your betrothals, you're following after me in the wilderness. So he's prophesying, he's saying, back then in the wilderness, which is where they were when they received these stone tablets, you were betrothed me and I remembered that love of your betrothal. I remembered when I betrothed myself to you back at that time. So I'd just like to point out that this is not my personal opinion, um, that these giving of these stone tablets was the giving of a marriage contract. Um, just to do some research before I, before I came here, I went and looked at many different Jewish, so not Christian, Jewish um, scholars and everything that, everything that um, they said was that this giving of the, the Ten Commandments or giving of the Torah or giving of the law was the giving of a marriage covenant between God that, um, and his people, the Israelites. So this is not my personal opinion. This is how they interpret it as every Messianic Jew, every Jewish person said that this is what this represents. Now, do we all agree? This is important because unless we understand all these things, we don't capture what Pentecost is all about. Um, what also is fascinating is that they read the book of Ruth. This was a particular book that they always read at this time. It was fascinating as um, I think it was um, Mike brained that this morning and he um, prophesied from the book of Ruth, which is just fascinating. Because um, remember, today is the day of Pentecost, um, 6 day of 7, 27th of March. Our time changes around all the time, but they have a different kind of calendar. So, um, and they put, what's that? I can't hear you, sorry. <laughs> anyway, the same day every year is today. Um, and the book of Ruth, um, so those of you who are not familiar with the book of Ruth, it's a, a book about a, a Jew and he comes, uh, sorry, a Gentile woman Ruth, and she comes to marry this Jewish guy, Boaz. Um, and it's, a, it's about a, a, um, a Gentile being grafted into the, into the covenant of God and, and a picture of um, God marrying his Gentile bride. So they would always read this on the day of Pentecost. Um, so that sounds pretty awesome, you know, like they get to marry their God. But what was the problem? Um, the problem is that they were unfaithful and got divorced um, because of their disobedience and spiritual um, idolatry. They did not keep the requirements of this contract or law and were divorced. So Jeremiah 3 verse 6 says, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that she had done all this and she would return to me, but she did not. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. Um, so we have this picture. God uh, betrothed uh, to his bride and then them committing adultery. So this adultery that he's talking about is not like a they went out and had sex with all these people. That's, it's, a, it's an internal, it's a spiritual um, adultery that, 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 that was going on. Um, 
It wasn't because of any particular sin that they did. It was because of the position of their hearts. Um, you know, that's what all these ritual sacrifices were about. They had sacrifices for, for sin. They even had sacrifices for, for guilt and for things that they didn't realize that they did, um, that they sinned against God. They had all these different sacrifices to forgive them from their sins. So that wasn't, that wasn't the major issue. Um, they just went out and slaughtered a few lambs and repented, and that was back to, back to the way it was. Um, they were, they were uh, adulterous because they refused to love God wholeheartedly. Um, Matthew 22 says that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself, you fulfill all the law and all the prophets. So the problem was not that they had committed a sin. The problem was that in their hearts they wanted to love the world and as it says, stone and wood, rubbish stuff. They 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 weren't prepared to love him with all their heart, with all their soul, and fulfil this marriage contract that God had given them at Mount Sinai. Um, you know, these Israelites say they highlight the sinful nature of all of us. We we often look back and think, oh, <laughs> they had a marriage contract, but they stuffed it. They they committed adultery. Idiots, you know, like, they, this is all in here for a specific point to, to illustrate the nature of our own hearts. We are all, we all have this adulterous, this sinful, this selfish nature within us. Do we all agree? This is the nature of all of us. Um, and just like these sacrifices didn't change their nature, um, so too did Jesus' sacrifice it paid for our sins, but it didn't change our nature. The Holy Spirit is looking for a bride that will love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that is the fulfillment of the covenant. That's the fulfillment of the law um, and of, of the prophets. Um, he couldn't marry them because they refused to love him with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. And they made a choice to do just that. They made a choice to love the world and themselves over that. So do you see why they were divorced? They refused to love and they refused to turn back to that love. Um, Alright, so remember in all of this we're talking about Pentecost. This is the history of this specific day the day of Pentecost. Quite fascinating, eh? Because we think of Pentecost, oh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, all the rest. This is the history that if you don't understand what I'm talking about now, you won't understand the reason for this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was to come. Are we all following? All right. So, the solution. Um, God sent his own son to reconcile back what was lost, the broken marriage covenant. Um, Jeremiah prophesies the nature of this covenant. All right. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, you can look it up or you can look it up later. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, covenant with the people of Israel. So we have the old covenant and the new covenant. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant. So remember when I say covenant, it's like a contract. And the nature of that contract was what? A marriage contract, a marriage covenant, a marriage certificate that he was giving to them. It will not be like that covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. So saying back to Mount Sinai, giving the covenant, it won't be like that one. 
because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. So there again we say the nature of this covenant is a marriage covenant, it's a marriage contract, um, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So Jeremiah is, of course, prophesying about this new covenant that is to come that would um, give Israel a second chance, it's a reconciliation back to God, a uh, recompense for this divorce that has uh, gone on between God and the nation of Israel. And we see, again, God is going to address the key issue that separates us from him, the key issue that um, has meant that we cannot marry him. They say, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So we see... It was always, back then as it is now, a heart issue. It was never an issue of being perfect or um, fulfilling all these different things. It was always a heart issue um, that prevented them from being in this incredible marriage covenant. All right, so this brings me to the first Pentecostal tradition. Um, so you can have a look back at Leviticus. Leviticus 23 verse 15, um, and this is the nature of Pentecost. Um, verse 16, you shall count 50 days after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made from two tenths of an epah. They shall be of a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Alright, so the first tradition that they celebrated each year was called the counting of the Omer. And this was 50 days. Remember the historical significance, they've just come out of Egypt um, and they had 50 days before they were to receive this marriage covenant with God. Um, and this, this 50 days was very important um, because just like uh, Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross didn't change us, that the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they're coming out of a society which today would be like Las Vegas. You know, there's um, all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff going on. Um, and just because they came out of that society, just because they were freed from that, didn't actually change the nature um, of who they were as people. So God was giving them a chance to, of 50 days to repent. It was like a day of introspection. They were looking inside themselves or soul searching. You know, we might call it soul searching um, to see. Am I prepared to enter into what is to come? Am I prepared to come into this covenant? Remember, it's a legally binding betrothal covenant um, with God. And this, what is so important, was always, a, it's a voluntary choice. 50 days of checking, am I prepared to make this commitment to my God that was to come? So, let's start looking in the New Testament. Um, in Acts, we see the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. So the early disciples, um, remember, um, first fruits um, in the Old Testament was um, the, um, the coming out of um, Egypt. First fruits in the New Testament was um, Jesus rising again. And there was 50 days in both times, a period of 50 days to get themselves right. Um, 
the apostle said, 50 days to, to repent and prepare before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, just like back then, it was always a choice of their will. Were they prepared to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit? And we can see that they were praying and fasting and preparing themselves to receive this Holy Spirit. All right. Are we all following? Yeah, sweet. All right, the second tradition. This is very fascinating. What they would do, um, oh, you can go and have a look um, back at the Leviticus 23. Um, you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering. So what is so fascinating about this is, remember back to one of the first feasts we talked about, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And re- we remember that um, it had to be unleavened, it had to be pure um, to be that sacrifice for us. In fact, that under the Levitical law, um, a, a sacrifice could not be, you couldn't burn something on the altar if it had leaven in it. I was just saying, what is the deal with leaven? It's yeast. I mean, God had just such an issue. He couldn't allow yeast in his altar. This is an altar, I'm talking about a pit with fire in it, you know? It's like, what is the deal? But when we see it's a, a dress rehearsal, he would not allow um, leaven, or remember, represents sin on his altar. And they get these two loaves of leavened bread which represent us. We are leavened, we are, we are full of sin. If Jesus is without sin and unleavened, we are leavened. We are flesh with sin in us. And, he, and they weren't allowed to burn this leavened bread on the altar. They had to wave it above the altar and then the priests would eat it because they weren't allowed to burn it by fire. Um, so, I'll just read one second. All right, yeah, Leviticus 2.11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up and smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. So they couldn't put, it, put this leaven bread on the fire. In the same way, we couldn't possibly have had the fire of the Holy Spirit, the perfect nature of this transforming power burning through us unless Jesus being unleavened had paid that price and um, being completely sinless replacing our nature with his so that we could receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So all these, these first three feasts, Passover, unleavened bread and first fruit had to be fulfilled to get to this place um, of Pentecost, him being crucified for our sins, him being pure and blameless, and him rising again so that we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go over this one more time so I don't miss anything. Um, all right. So the fire of God, remember I said that living couldn't be on the altar. Jesus um, gave us his own uh, sinless perfect nature um, in exchange for our corrupted um, nature. Does that make sense? So this is, uh, Romans 8 says this, uh, in the the likeness of sinful flesh, um, he swapped our nature for his. But the the problem is that as Christians we get there and we're like, sweet, he's, he's swapped our nature for his, it's done, it's done and dusted, that's it. But what you don't see is that's the, that was, at that stage, the third feast, there were still four to come in God's big picture plan. It doesn't end there. 
He did all these things for a specific purpose to come in the future. Um, we see in Acts, as you know, we see before then, we see um, Jesus and he says, um, oh no, sorry, it's John, and he says that um, Jesus will come and will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So to them that is like, what? You know, fire represents this altar. Remember, we couldn't have that Holy Spirit, we couldn't have that burning in us unless we had this sinless nature to start with. Um, oh, is that clear? Do, yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like I just suspect, haven't described it very well. All right. So we, we see yeah, that nature is ours, but the iniquity that corruption in our hearts is still there. All right. So we've received this nature, but the, the real issue, the real heart issue has still not been dealt with. Um, Ephesians 3.23, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, uh, than we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. So this receiving, um, this receiving of the power and of the fire was for a, a specific, a specific purpose to change the very nature that was within us. Um, that's why in Romans 12.1, you know, Paul is saying, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual um, act of worship. We say, we think, you know, like, the opportunity to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, <laughs> guts, you know, like, finally we've been forgiven and now we have to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This was the biggest privilege to be able to, remember, sacrifice on the altar, fire, to receive this Holy Spirit and have the fire come in us, this is the biggest privilege that we have been been given. You know, firstly, he dies for us in, in that place, and then he's giving us this this fire that we we weren't able to have before his perfect sacrifice. So, to be able to have this this fire, to be able to be on the altar, is a is a privilege in itself. He had to. It cost him his life that we could be on the altar. And when I'm talking about altar, I'm talking about um, the altar, that the fire burning in us to change and transform this this nature, this iniquity that is within us. All right, so come back to Acts, Acts 2. And I bet, yeah, better read Acts because that is Pentecost. Could, in preparedness, I... Just seeing all these different shadows in the Old Testament, you could preach on Pentecost without even going into the New Testament. It's fascinating. Um, all right. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven like a noise, like a rushing violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, um, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so that is the New, Te- that's the New Testament. The same day, the same time, the same hour as this Old Testament feast or appointed time. Um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, te- we look at this passage and we see, you know, um, tongues of fire. We see them. You know, speaking in other languages, and then the next chapter we see them giving away all their possessions. We see, we see, uh, I think it's Peter. He's praying for this lame beggar who's immediately healed, and we say, "Man, that's awesome!" You know, like Jesus sent His Holy Spirit so that we could do miracles, so that we could speak in other languages, we could do all the rest of this stuff. But unless we remember back 
to this, the nature of this festival and this, ma- this new marriage covenant that was to come, that had to be fulfilled, we, we miss out, uh, we, we see the outworking in Acts 2, but we miss the whole context, the whole reason why the Holy Spirit was given. Um, yeah, these things are all um, outworkings of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we, you know, we see all the time we have, we have healings here, we speak in other tongues, but that was never the, the primary focus of him sending the Holy Spirit. The primary focus of him sending the Holy Spirit was to find and prepare, the, sorry, the Father sending the Holy Spirit to find and prepare a bride for his son Jesus. We see this in, in Genesis chapter 24. Um, and just jot this down or remember it in your minds and go back and look at it because it's a, an absolutely beautiful picture and it's about Abraham. And he sends out his servants to find um, a wife for his son Isaac. Um, and this is an incredible picture of the Father sending out his Holy Spirit to find and prepare a bride for his son. Make sense? Unless we see that Old Testament, we, unless we see that these, this, this covenant was to be a marriage covenant, we miss out the whole nature of why the Holy Spirit was sent to find and prepare a bride. So, Romans 8, 2-4. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So here we see again, the likeness of sinful flesh, paying the price, uh, perfection, so that we could have that power, uh, fire of the Holy Spirit burning inside of us. Um, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the law. Uh, sorry, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now, it's so easy to read this verse and just, yep, sweet. This verse is terrifying. You know, I said at the start this is going to be a, an exciting but terrifying message. All right, I'm going to break it down just a little bit. Um, so for what the law could not do remember this old covenant there was something about it that could not bring about the result that God was looking for this wholehearted love and devotion to his bride weak as it was to the flesh God said or God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh the preparation the, the sinless um, Jesus on the cross um as a way of us receiving the Holy Spirit, so that the requirement of the law might, 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 might be filled in, 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 in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Alright, so first, first point. Where is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled? It's right here. Alright, the key word, might. So, there's some things that Jesus talks about which are set in stone, done just like that, you know. Um, for those who believe, they will receive salvation. They've crossed the line from death to life. It's set in stone. You sin, you stuff up, whatever, doesn't matter. You've, you've crossed the line from death to life, right? This is not one of those things. This is a conditional aspect. It requires something to come into what he, is, what he has planned for us, alright? 
so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled within us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So within the church, believers, saved, going to heaven, all the rest, do some of us walk according to the flesh? Absolutely. You know, we are all to varying degrees walk um, in the flesh. So that means they're not having the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled within them. What is, oh, I think back, a marriage covenant. Rights and obligations for the bride and the groom that needed to be fulfilled in order for them to marry him. It's terrifying, hey? So that the... But remember, his plan and what he has done, he has done everything so that we would come into this fulfillment right here of being his bride. Remember, this is not qualification for heaven or hell. This is a, a wholehearted devotion issue so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Thank God that he gave, that he went to the cross, that he was the perfect sacrifice, that he was able to give this Holy Spirit, eh? so that we might be able to one day be his bride. Alright, so the fulfilment of the law. Remember back, I was talking just, a few minutes ago, Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen up. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So where is the requirement of the law being fulfilled? In us. What is the fulfillment of the law? To love your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. It was and always is a heart issue. Now what does the Holy Spirit do? Remember, he is that fire and the power that enables us to live away if we walk with him um, to enable us and empower us to live a way that we couldn't live before. Remember, I'm not talking about heaven or hell. That's a it's on the cross. It's a done. It's a done deal for all Christians. I'm talking about being with him for all of eternity. And uh, the Romans verse, you know, those who walk according to the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? It fulfills. If we allow him, it fulfills that law that. Was the Lord love that love would be in your hearts? This is what it all comes down to: the requirements of the law, the righteous requirement. Remember, in the past, it was on the stone tablets they had to fulfil, duck, 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 in order to be married to God. Now He's saying, you know, I've I've done everything I can. I've given you this Holy Spirit. If you want Him, you know, remember the counting of the Omar. They had to make a choice to say, do you want it or not? Those people who choose to walk according to the whole, uh, to the Spirit will allow, you know, are allowing themselves to have this requirement of the law, to have this 
this love fulfilled within them, that they would actually become love. Does this make sense? Um, and, yep, anyway. Um, so this is not a, we're having to go and do all these things to um, come into a, some sort of um, perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sin. Remember, sin was a done deal. I'm talking about the position of our hearts to love him. All right? Um, yep. All right. When he talks about many are called, but few are chosen. We all have this calling. We all have this empowering Holy Spirit at work within us if we allow him. We all have this opportunity to have love fulfilled within us. Remember, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about making stupid mistakes, you know. Um, you know, you could be a, a perfect, goody-good Christian or you could be a, a recovering drug addict. It doesn't matter. This is not what it's about. It's not about sin. It's about a choice to love him. A choice to allow the Holy Spirit in so that you would have love Remember, love is the fulfillment of the law. By his Holy Spirit, we can be for, the law can be fulfilled within us, that this love will be formed within us so that we would be this bride that he has so desired from the beginning of all of eternity. Is this the most incredible invitation you have ever heard in your whole life, that the God of the heavens, the God that created the heavens of the earth, Right from the start, he thinks, I want a bride, somebody that, somebody for my son, who my son will be with for all of eternity. Think back, these dress rehearsals, preparation, 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 um, rehearsal, 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 um, paying of this blood, this spotless blood on the cross, so that the Holy Spirit may come into our hearts, transforming us as people that the righteous requirements of the law, remember, loving others, sorry, loving God first and loving others might be met within us. Do we, are we, are we hearing this? How this is both the most incredible invitation but yet the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. I just... When it becomes, when it goes from being a, a theological teaching in a book to when I stand before him and I say, uh, it, am I allowing in the work of the Holy Spirit? Am I submitting to him? Am I living my life in a way that brings honor and glory to him? Am I allowing the, the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit to burn inside of me? It's, it is, terrifying and exciting all at once. And I just want to emphasize this. I know I keep going over and over these points, but it is vitally important. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about making mistakes. That was old covenant. You had to duck, 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 get the law to be the, the new covenant. I will, I'm just going to go back. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's written it on our hearts. It was and always is a heart issue. Are you prepared to make that choice to love him? 
is what it all comes down to. Will you love him? For those who say yes and allow the, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and live within them, they are allowing love to be formed within them. That's what he's looking for. That's, a, that's what he's looking for in his bride. Not do this, do this, do this, strive, 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 work, 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 but will you love me? You know, I, I think back to, um, to Peter and, and Jesus is saying, you know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. I, I think it's a filial love. I love you with a brotherly love. And you can almost feel the, the passion in that, um, not, that's, passion is not the right word there, um, or just that the tension, the answer is, Jesus, that's not, I can, that's not the love I'm looking for. Uh, he's looking for a wholehearted devotion to him and we cannot love him. Remember our nature, we, our sinful nature, our adulterous nature. We cannot love him without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit is because we are all fallen. We all have this nature within us. But he gave the Holy Spirit. Will you allow him in? Will you allow him to come and change and transform you? That you will be a different person, a wholehearted bride. Um, we're all, like I said before, we're all we're all on the same level, recovering drug addict or Christian superstar. You know, we're all on the same the same level. Are you prepared to love him? Um, and and I talked about this becoming a reality. You know, this is these. I talked about mostly these first four feasts. The next three are even more terrifying because they are what what is to come in the future. Um, this wedding ceremony—it's not just a theological teaching; it's an actual reality. You know, for every every prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus's first coming, there's eight related to his second coming. That's pretty full on, eh? In the Old Testament. There's eight times more prophecies about him coming back than there is about him coming in the first place. So if he came once and he flawlessly um, fulfilled these dress rehearsals to the day, to the hour, I bet you it would have been to the second, but we, the Bible doesn't even give, it doesn't, it doesn't go that in depth, but I bet you it would have been to the second that the sacrificial lamb was being slaughtered on the altar as he was being nailed to the cross. Um, as his bread was, um, were being waved over the altar that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Um, if he fulfilled all these first ones, he's going to fulfill all the second coming requirements um, that he has in his old in his old testament. So, yeah, that's all for this evening. Agree? That's cool too. We'll probably have to.